Bail next week? I think so, yeah. Uh, but I think the, uh, Sarah is going to confirm that to all of us. Right, so, yeah. So definitely we're having an assembly meeting next week, So which is fantastic. Uh, everyone is welcome, as always, uh, after the meeting to just enjoy a time of fellowship. And uh, also, I think next week, that's the coronation of the, of the king as well. So we just use the opportunity to invite people for the gospel meeting. Hopefully, they will come in uh, on that occasion. We're going to turn on now to the word of the Lord. As Andrew said, I am responsible this uh, morning, and we're continuing our studies in the um, uh, in the uh, uh, book of Timothy, uh, the epistle of Timothy, rather. And, and uh, my my portion is from verses 12 to the end of the first chapter. For continuity's sake, I am going to start reading from verse 8, uh, where uh, Andrew, uh, the last session that Andrew uh, ended off at. You can either follow from your own Bible or you can just listen to my reading here. First Timothy chapter 1, uh, reading from verse 8. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Verse twelve. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them we should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them, by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Himenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And as always, we trust that the Lord will bless the public reading of his word. Now, as we look onto these verses, 
um, I started in verse 8 just to make continuity and context of the things that Paul there here continues then to emphasize on. And from verse 8 up to verse 11, he talks of the subject of the law because seemingly it seems here uh, uh, the apostle is exhorting uh, Timothy uh, to um, remind uh, the believers here that of sound doctrine, those proper things that they ought to hold on to because seemingly here there were seemingly people that were amongst uh, the believers here that wanted to uh, bring people back to that bondage of the law. Now, Andrew spoke about this last week. The law is good in of itself, but what the law does is it exposes our weakness. And as the Apostle Paul talks about these things, he reminds, it reminds him of himself. Let us remember who the Apostle Paul is here. This was a man who was a Pharisee who is pertaining to the law. He knew a great deal about the law. And as he contemplates these things, as he emphasizes these things uh, unto Timothy, uh, he goes back to himself and he bursts into this praise for the Lord. Why does it do so? Because it takes him back in time and reminds him as the person that he was before an adherent, a religious, legalistic adherent of the law and reminds him of the fact that even though he was so adamant on the law in his former life, he still was far away from the Lord. This reminds us of the fact that it is not what we do. Yes, there is evidence in a Christian's life in their conduct which manifests outwardly as to the sort of person that they are. But fundamentally, it is not what we do that brings us into the relationship with our Lord. And this is what the apostle here is emphasizing to Timothy, to emphasize to the believers there. Because if there was anybody who could be pointed out to, as far as adhering to the law is concerned, all those do's and don'ts, as far as they were concerned, he was one of those who belonged, not just to the Pharisees, but the strictest sect of the Pharisees. So as far as the law is concerned, he would be the man you, that anybody would point to and say, that is the man. If you want to obey the law, if you want to know about obeying the law, Saul of Tarsus is the person to point to. But here, because now this very same mentality that he was, he is seeing now to the believers that the apostle now is talking to Timothy to go and put right. To emphasize to them, this thing is now springing up again about the subject of the law. Now, he clarifies in the verses that Andrew uh, handled before that the law in of itself is not wrong. But the law is like a sign. It doesn't justify anybody. What the law does is, it, like a mirror, it just exposes 
the flaws that are in people, that we are fallen creatures. What the law does, when the law says, thou shalt not steal, it doesn't mean that if therefore you do not steal, therefore you are in a relationship with God. What the law does is it only confirming that which is already written in our own hearts, but which we suppress in unrighteousness, but brings it to the forth. When you wake up in the morning and you look yourself to the mirror and then you realize your hair is just all over the place, the fault is not with the mirror. The fault is with you. And so the Apostle Paul here is what is trying to bring forth that the law is lawful in the fact that as the mirror shows you that, sorry, just like the rest of us, we are developing wrinkles. It doesn't mean that the, the mirror is wrong. It's only telling you the fact, the reality, the truth about yourself. But these Judaizers, so to speak, these legalistic uh, people wanted to um, put believers into bondage as far as the doctrine of the law is concerned. To take them back to the do's and don'ts in the false understanding that that is what brings them to a relationship with God. But that is not the case. We have emphasized here at Bencham that coming to church does not bring you into a relationship with Christ, with God. Coming into church, doing good things, helping old people cross the road does not make us Christians. It's a good act. They're commendable acts. But when we come to the subject of a relationship with God, it's an entirely different topic altogether. We have to understand that. Why? Because the law tells us that if that thou shalt not kill. But what it actually says to you is that if you even as much as hate anybody without a cause, as far as God is concerned, you are a murderer. So you do not have to actually go and commit the act to show that you are actually a sinner, a condemned person in the sight of God. Just what happens in your heart, which you know is not good. That's what the law does. Obey your mother and the father. If all of us here, we were to go, if I were to go to all your parents, please don't go to mine either. Because if you ask them what sort of a child I used to be, they will tell you what kind of a person is. I, I was, and probably, maybe still am, to some certain extent. Because we know what that we know that it is a bad thing. It is not a good thing for us as our parents' children to cause trouble to our, to our parents. It is not good for us to be disobedient. And yet, we, all of us, we did it. Why? Because in sin, we were born. So when the law says, obey your mother and father, thou shalt honor your mother and father, it is only exposing our disobedience to our parents. And therefore, these Judaizers, to then try and make the believers hold on to those do's and don'ts, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt do this and that and that, it doesn't bring them into a relationship with God. Who knows better than that than the Apostle Paul? And this is why he then bursts into this praise, because he brings them back to that realization at that moment when his eyes were opened. I hope all our eyes are opened here. When we realized that 
these people, they are doing exactly the same mistakes that he was doing him as a Pharisee. No law will justify anybody. All that the law does, it condemns. But he then bursts into this praise, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me. For that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Who was? And then he lists all these things. Now, you can list your own, your own things here. I can list my own things. We have our own things that we can list, that we know. We do, we're not going to advertise them here, but you know them. And guess what? God knows them as well. The Apostle Paul just gives us a glimpse of some of his things. And when these things come back to his mind, he realizes we've been singing today about grace. That only the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. How much do we appreciate the grace of God? I would submit is proportional to the extent at which we recognize and realize our worst estate. The reason may be why we do not appreciate a lot about the grace of Christ, the grace of God, is because we think very less and very little of our sins. But the Apostle Paul knows this because he was a murderer of Christians. It sits very deeply in his heart. And as he observes these people amongst the believers trying to chain them back to the things of legality, it pains him because he knows firsthand that him as a legalist was the chief of sinners. And as he recognizes these things, and he realizes these things as his memories are taken back in time. He continues in this praise. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. What is he saying here? He's saying, look at the sort of a person that I was. Look at what I have done as a legalistic, law-abiding and chasing after the law kind of a person in times before. Look what I did. Look at the things that I've committed. When I consider all these things that I have done, when you consider all these things that you have done, and then you put them, you juxtaposition them with the cross. And you see the work of God in his son that he had done. And then you recognize that it was actually because of all these acts that his son was put on that cross. 
you realize with a deep sense of appreciation that Christ came into this world to save sinners. Otherwise, we would be a people that are without hope. We'll be doomed. We'll be absolutely, utterly helpless. We'll be on our way to eternal condemnation. You take away what Christ has done. You belittle what Christ has done by belittling your sins. You lose sight of the magnitude of the work that Christ has done. I couldn't help but notice that the phrase that he uses here, that of whom I am chief. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul, he says a similar thing. And this was about 56 AD, round about in 1 Corinthians. And it says, I am the least of the apostles. Now, when you go, that, that is... Uh, 1 Corinthians 59, verses 9. When you go to Ephesians, which is about three years, four years later, what does he think of himself? He says, I am the least of all the saints. Now, when he writes to Timothy here, this is five, six years later after writing the Ephesians. And he says, I am the chief of sinners. What do we see here about the Apostle Paul? He doesn't lose sight of the fact that he was a depraved sinner who needed help. He doesn't come to a point where he thinks, oh, now that I have, been, I have met the Lord in the road to Damascus, now I am all good to go. Uh, the must, I am getting better as a person. Uh, the, there must be something about me now that is, that is now uh, actually really, really good about me. I'm now actually a good... I'm not saying the Apostle Paul continued to be a murderer and an injurious of people. No. Manifestly, outwardly, he became a better person and a, and, 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 and a servant for the Lord. But he never lost sight of the fact that he was a depraved sinner that needed help. I pray as the saints of God that we never lose of the sight of the fact that we were depraved, horrible, ugly sinners. I pray that we should never lose sight of the fact that we end up thinking of ourselves and say, I am not like that person. You remember how the, how, how, how the Pharisees prayed? I pray multiple times a day. I fast 
twice a week. I give. I am not like that publican. The Lord says that on the contrary, that publican beat his breast and said, forgive me, Lord, I am a sinner. Now, in the Middle East, the act of beating your breast is an expression of sorrow and anguish of the heart. And the Lord says that that publican went away accepted. But the Pharisee was not. The Apostle Paul, he gets it. He never forgets that he is one of those who can still continue to say he is the chief of sinners. When we lose ourselves and realize our unworthiness, the grace of Christ becomes magnified in our lives and makes us to worship truthfully. One of the reasons maybe that we don't maybe worship as we should. It's because maybe we lose sight of these things. And the grace of God becomes a mundane thing that is not unique, that is not special, that is not esteemed. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Now, it seems here that Timothy is in this ministry not because of his own thinking of himself, oh, I am worthy for this ministry. He is in this ministry not because of a want to be in the ministry. I'm not saying he's forced into it. But what we see here is that God chose Timothy in this ministry. God chooses all of us, every believer, to their ministry. We don't put ourselves into ministry. May God help us that we don't put ourselves into ministry. Now, by ministry, it is not just standing at, at the pulpit. Ministry is varied. God is, is at work, and he needs workers. And there is a lot of work that needs to be done. That God wants to accomplish. And he calls his people to different areas to minister. It is God's calling. It is not our want. 
we should examine ourselves and ask ourselves, where is God calling me to? What is my calling? My calling is not your calling. Your calling is not my calling. But you have a calling. And what is your calling? And here, the Apostle, uh, the Apostle Paul here is going to remind Timothy that remember, you are chosen to do this. When we recognize that God has called us unto something, because the thing is, the reality of life is that life is hard. Life is hard. If you are made to do something, sooner or later, you run out of steam. It has to be what you are called to be. I remember when I was uh, finishing my, 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 my high school, and one of the things, my mom wanted me to be a doctor, believe it or not, she thought I was that clever. She wanted me to be a doctor. But I knew it straight away. That there's no way I can stand a needle. I can't stand blood. I could have taken my certificate and said, oh, I've got, I've got the grace, I want to be a doctor. To be honest with you, it would have been a long slog. Because it wasn't in me. I wasn't called to that. My wife enjoys doing that. I don't. Can I talk about Jim? No, I won't talk about Jim. Because Janet is here. There were people, Himenius and Alexander. Now, maybe some of you will not agree with me here. It seems to me here, one of the things that I think we really need to understand is we need to invest time to read the Bible to understand how God is doing his things and how he is operating through time. And one of the things that are very distinct about God's operation is the fact that there are dispensations. Now, I'm not using this word in a... In a, those who believe in dispensation and those, those, those don't know. I'm using in terms of its dictionary meaning. There are, there are, there are, there are times right, in God's dealings on this throughout history that God preferred to work. When, when Israel was, 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 was going through the wilderness, God gave them manna, for example. right? He gave them manna right? and, um, and, uh, and uh, he, he made their shoes not to wear away. Right? And, 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 and he gave them water through rocks. He did all these things. He, he, he gave, fed them with, with meat from heaven and, and things like that. God did that as they were going through. But he said to them, you know, when you get to the land, he gave them rules. That on the first, on the, the first, the first harvest, you're going to give it to the Lord. The first year, you didn't work for it. You found it in the land. You know, you're going to give it to the Lord. Right? He gave them those. He couldn't tell them in the, in, in the, in, in the desert. Because in the desert, they were, not, they were not farming in the desert. Right? And the scripture tells us that once they entered into Jordan, Jordan, manna ceased. 
So we've got to recognize that God was feeding Israel in the, in the desert with manna because these people were pilgrims. They were in transit, right? They were going to a, a personal destination. So one cannot expect God to be giving manna when they were in Canaan, when they arrived to their destination because God was dealing them in a particular way at that particular time. Similarly, we have to recognize here that God dealings, right, as the birth of church was coming forth, right? He chose to operate primarily through the apostles. And by these apostles, God gave them some authorities that you and I do not have today. Now, I know that the term apostle can be loosely used, right, amongst believers, calling each other apostles and things like that. I don't think it's sinful in of, in of itself, but strictly speaking, there are no apostles today. There are no apostles. And there is such authority that is apostolic authority. That really, we don't have it today. Now, I'm not saying God can't do the things that he did before. Now, he can, he can do whatever he wants. But as far as you and I, as 21st century believers, are concerned, we cannot equate ourselves to the apostles. Now, mind you, this is not to, this is not to say the apostles were more important than you and I today because the first can be the last, and the last can be the first, as far as God is concerned. It's faithfulness that really counts towards God in those things. But as far as their responsibilities as apostles, as apostles were concerned, they were given certain authority as apostles, as the medium through which God was founding his church. And to that end, we do not have that authority. And here, the Apostle Paul, I think, is talking about such authority. Now, we see this because he is talking about these two, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who are obviously somewhere else. Ephesus Church, somewhere in, in, in Ephesus. They are there. He is making a judgment as the Apostle. And the Apostle does say that. He just say that. That he has been chosen unto this ministry. By the Lord himself. You got to read Acts. And you can see that for yourself. And by the authority that he has. He says he has delivered these to Satan. Now, I don't, I would submit to you that I don't think there is anybody today who is a believer who can say I am delivering somebody to Satan. You may disagree with me. It's okay. You can still be a brother and, and, and my sister. But I don't think that authority is there amongst us. This was a preserve of apostolic authority. Now, the other thing that I notice here is that this deliverance into Satan was not, it doesn't seem to me that it was an abandonment of them being lost. It seems it was an act of discipline. Because it says that that they may learn not to blaspheme. So this, is, this was not a vindictive, personal act on the apostles' part to say, I hate these people, and therefore I'm going to punish them. No. This is a righteous act of the apostle, the zeal for the things of God, because here, we are talking about here, the issues that are fundamental to our Christianity. 
The Apostle Paul here is talking about the fact that the confusion of legalism and the law has to be clearly understood. We can't, we can't agree to disagree on those issues. Those are fundamentals. And therefore the Apostle Paul is going to be very firm because these are issues of life and death. These are issues of salvation. These are issues that determine whether a person is lost or not lost. And he delivers them. And I think this is in the hope of the fact that they are going to stop blaspheming. To produce a good result. The God that we serve is a God of reconciliation. I hope you understand that. He is a God of reconciliation. It, might, it is possible for a believer to stray a bit in their walk. We're not talking about being lost here. We're talking about straying a bit. I don't know a lot about herding, but I know I've herded some cows. Not sheep, but I've herded some cow, some cows. And I know that they can, during the season, when there are crops on the fields, we would go and keep an eye on the cattle. Why? Because they can stray into fields. And, and then you've got more than what you bargain for with your neighbors. But on the, on the time when there are no fields, when during the dry season, we just let them off, and then we go and, 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 and roll them back after a month or something, and I just let them wander in the, in the wilderness. But they have the habit of straying. So sometimes we as Christians, we can stray, and God... I think it is a good thing to actually recognize that we are straying and come back to the Lord whilst he's still whispering to us. God is an amazing, is amazingly gracious. He can work with us and work with us and work with us and work with us as a parent works with a child. But there can come a time when God is no longer whispering, he's shouting at you. My advice to you is, you better listen before God starts shouting. Because God does discipline his children. Not because he wants to hurt them, but because he is a caring parent that knows that eating sugar and sugar and sugar and sugar all the time is not good for you. Sticking your fingers into the socket is not a good idea. God knows the things that are best for us. And sometimes he has to step in to bring us back. I don't know whether this is the same Hymenaeus and Alexander that are in 2 Timothy. I don't know. But it seems to me that this was the act of the Apostle Paul trying to bring them back. Now, finally, the thought that I want to leave with you. As the Apostle Paul talks about these things to Timothy, and he lists the kind of a person that he used to be, It got me thinking yesterday as I was preparing for this. He talks about long-suffering. The long-suffering of Christ 
as a pattern for them, we should hereafter believe on him. This is not the long suffering of the Apostle Paul. This is the long suffering of Christ, of God, mercifully during the times that the Apostle Paul, in ignorance, was living, living a rebellious life. Can God save Putin? Throughout all the life that we know of President Putin and the things that he has done, can God save Putin? Can God save Kim Jong-un? They have had years of absolutely abhorrent evil things that they have done. Yes, we speak of them as evil. I think I can use that word. They've done evil things. But our God is an amazing God. Can you imagine what kind of a world we would wake up to tomorrow if Putin was to get saved tonight? Can you imagine how the world would be transformed if Kim Jong-un became a Christian? The world would be transformed. Can God save evil man? I think if you ask the Apostle Paul, he will tell you. You are looking at one. If anything else, this encourages me not to stop praying for the lost. No matter how long it has been, God is still in the business of saving and he can save them. Maybe it's not Putin, maybe it's not Kim Jong-un, maybe it's much closer at home. Our friends, our relatives, our siblings that are not saved. Many times, I'll be honest with you, I've had to control myself when I develop an attitude towards a non-believer. And I have to remind myself that if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would just be like them. Let us continue praying that we may continue the good warfare that the apostle exhorts to Timothy. Let us pray. Our Lord and our Savior, we are always grateful, O Lord, that we can open scriptures before us to hear from you, to be instructed from you. We are amazed, O Lord, every time we read your word as your voice speaks unto us. And Lord, we pray that we be not just sayers of these things, but we be doers. Remember, O Lord, that we are weak and we are flesh. And therefore, Lord, we need thy spirit to help us. For indeed, this good warfare cannot be fought with carnal weapons. We need thee, O Lord. 
especially in the days that we live in. Lord, we would remember even people like Putin, people like Kim Jong-un, Lord. We pray, O oh Lord, that if it pleases thee, you will be the one who would make what the United Nations can, cannot do to transform a man's heart, to change them to the glory of your name. All these things, Lord, we desire because we want your name to be glorified. We want your name to be lifted up. Let's, let, help us, therefore, Lord, as we enter into this new week, that we may live lives that are thus, lives, Lord, that are matching to these things that we speak of. Asking all this in that most wonderful and precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.